Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Uh, really, really glad that you're here. Uh, thanks for coming. Welcome those of you at our East service, those of you who are tuning in online. Uh, welcome. Uh, I have been uh, feeling under the weather the last week, so that's why I want to keep my distance from you. Uh, but I, have, uh, I long to be with you uh, during this uh, time and this uh, Advent series. Uh, we are in the third week of uh, Advent, and we are going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. If you're going to use one of our Bibles, either in the sanctuary uh, in front of you uh, or over in East uh, Hall, then you can turn to page 949, page 949. All right, so it's the third week of Advent. What a messed up passage <laughs> to be read the third week of Advent, uh, the one here in Hebrews. You know, by the time we get to this place, uh, a week away from Christmas, I'm thinking about, you know, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. I'm thinking about angels singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. What I'm, what I'm not thinking about is uh, blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. 
a voice whose words make the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. This is not the passage I'm going to be reading to my family on Christmas, Christmas morning. So why are we reading it now, the third week of Advent, and reading it uh, coupled with Matthew chapter 1, the coming of Jesus? Uh, there's a movie I saw some time ago. It's a movie called Night and Day. Uh, it stars Tom Cruise and uh, Cameron Diaz. It's a cute movie. Uh, Tom Cruise is a spy. Uh, Cameron Diaz is uh, an innocent civilian who gets kind of roped into Tom Cruise's shenanigans. But at some point, she decides she doesn't want any more of it. She wants to go back to her life. And Tom Cruise is saying, no, you can't. It's too late. If you uh, try to leave me, your chances of survival go way down. You need to stay with me. And to emphasize that, what he says is, uh, listen, your chances of survival with me, up here. Without me, down here. With me, without me. That's what he says. Uh, that's what this Hebrews passage is about. And that's why we're coupling it with Matthew chapter 1, with the coming of Jesus as a Savior. Uh, here are my three points that I want to cover from this passage. I want to talk about what coming into the presence of God is like without Jesus. What it's like to come into God's presence without Jesus. What it's like to come into God's presence with Jesus. And then how to get Jesus. Without him, with him, how to get him. First, uh, without him. So what it says, uh, verses uh, 19 or 18 through 21. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. I mean, God is absolutely terrifying. Uh, and I, it's interesting because this, the author is like, he, he just puts a bunch of descriptive words together that just says, stay away. This is wildly dangerous to come close to God. So I, I have two questions, and both of them are why questions. The first question is, why is God terrifying? Why is God terrifying? Because that flies in the face of the way a lot of people think about God. It may fly in the face of the way you think about God. And the second why question is, why is it important for us to know that God is terrifying? Uh, why is it to our benefit to know this side of God? Okay, first, why is God terrifying? Uh, I started doing something about a year ago. Uh, and it, I first, first started doing it on a dare, and then I kind of got into it, and now I do it about five times a week. Uh, it's called a cold plunge. Uh, some of our staff members have been uh, wondering how long it would take me uh, to mention a cold plunge in a sermon. Well, the wait is over, because I talk about it all the time. And this is what a cold plunge is. You, you fill up a tub of water, with, uh, and then you put a bunch of ice in it, and then you get in that tub up to your 
neck is supposed to have all kinds of health benefits, which I'm beginning to doubt because <laughs> I have not, have not been feeling well the last week, right? If the water is like 50 degrees, which is pretty cold, I, I will stay in for about 10 minutes. If the water is 40 degrees, I'll stay in for five minutes. If the water is 30 degrees, which is very, very cold, I can only stay in for about three minutes. And it's interesting, you know, if I stay in uh, water that's 30 degrees for three minutes, I get out, my skin is bright red, like the worst sunburn you've ever seen. It's probably closer to a burn than I know. Uh, and it's, it has struck me that the human body wasn't designed for, you know, severe cold or severe hot. There are limits, right? Like if you uh, fill up a tub with molten lava and get in, you're not going to last very long. If you uh, fill up a tub with uh, liquid nitrogen and get in, you're not going to last any longer. The body is just, the human body just isn't made for those kinds of extremes. I think the thing is, it's the same thing with pure evil and pure good. I mean, we know that pure evil is terrifying. And we know that deep down. You know, I was watching a football game uh, last yesterday afternoon. And uh, during a commercial, an ad came on for a horror movie. And it is really disconcerting because there was so much evil in it. We know that, that pure evil is terrifying. I don't think we understand what pure good is really like. Uh, there's a story in Exodus chapter 33 where Moses is with God. And Moses says to God, he's up in Mount Sinai, and he says to God, show me your glory. I want to see all of you. And God says, okay, I will let my goodness pass before you. It's interesting that God would say his goodness and not glory. But he said uh, he took Moses and he put him in the cleft of a rock. And then he said, I'm going to have my goodness pass before you, but you'll only see the tail end of my goodness. Because any more than that, you could not bear it. It would destroy you. Right? The passage that we're reading here in, in Hebrews is taken from a story in Exodus chapter 19. Uh, God has descended on Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 20 is where he gives Moses, the Ten Commandments. But God has descended on Mount Sinai and he tells the people, stay away. Right? You're, you're, that's when he gives them all this instructions and it's, it's terrifying. And then he says something interesting to Moses. He says, listen, I want you to set up barriers. Make sure the people don't break through the barrier to try to get to me because they'll want to. That's our longing for goodness, but our inability to survive pure goodness, right? That's why God is terrifying. You know, there have been a couple of times in my life where I had to get an MRI. I don't know if you've ever had an MRI, uh, but they put you in a, in a tube and it's a magnetic kind of uh, imaging process. And before I would go into the MRI, the technician asked me a series of questions. And the questions had to do with metal. They would say, uh, do you have any metal in your body? Do you have any artificial joints? Do you have a pacemaker? Do you have any piercings? They even asked if I had any tattoos because certain tattoos uh, have metal in them, I guess. And I asked them, well, why do you ask all these questions about metal? 
And the technician said, well, it's a, it's a very, very powerful magnet. And what it will try to do is pull any metal clean out of your body. It can do a tremendous amount of damage to you. It can leave you a bloody mess. That's what I want, to th- want you to think about, what it would be like to come into the presence of pure goodness or pure holiness. That God would be like an MRI machine where every impurity in your soul, and if you're like me, there's plenty of impurities in your soul, would be pulled out because of his goodness and his holiness. And you could be left a bloody mess. That's why God is terrifying, right? The second question is, why is it important for us to know that God is terrifying? What benefit is it, is it to us to know this side of God? I don't know if you've ever watched a movie where somebody was being saved from things, but they didn't realize they were being saved from something. Actually, Pastor Zach, uh, a few months ago, used the movie Pride and Prejudice. And uh, after he used that movie as an illustration, I went home and I rewatched it. It's a great movie. Uh, but it's really a, a love story about, uh, between uh, a man named Mr. Darcy and a woman named Elizabeth Bennett. And at first, Elizabeth Bennett doesn't, she just, uh, she hates Mr. Darcy. But her family keeps getting saved from one catastrophe after another. And when she finally finds out that it's Mr. Darcy who's been saving them, then she, uh, like her, her heart is open and she sees him for the first time and she falls deeply in love with him. Listen, if, if you do not know what Jesus has saved you from, you will never really love him. It's only when you know both what you've been saved from and who it is that has saved you that your heart will be open and you'll be able to see Jesus for the first time and fall deeply in love with him. Okay, so that's the first point, which is uh, what it's like to go into God's presence without Jesus. My second point is how to go into God's presence with Jesus. The passage pivots at verse 22. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Okay, all of a sudden things change, and what the author says is it's now a festal gathering. Uh, that's a, that's a, a proper word for a party. There is joy, there is laughter, there is singing. There is, uh, it, it is uh, a feasting, it's wonderful, right? And the change is a result of verse 24, where it says, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, okay? so. For the point uh, without Jesus, I had two questions, and they were why questions. For this point with Jesus, I have two questions, and they're what questions. First, what does Jesus do to mediate, and what does Jesus' mediation do? 
Okay, first, what does Jesus do to mediate? Uh, I think you've probably noticed that every week we have read a different passage from Hebrews, but the same passage from Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is one of the two places in the Bible that tells us about the birth of Jesus. The other is Luke chapter 2. And in Matthew chapter 1, uh, the angel tells uh, Mary and Joseph two things about Jesus. One is that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And number two, call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The, the idea of Jesus being God come in human flesh is called the incarnation. And the incarnation is the, the greatest movement of love the world has ever known. I, I've used this before because it, there is a basic movement to love. You know it uh, and you have done it many times probably. The movement of love is a threefold movement. It's to give up, go to, and be with. Give up, go to, be with. A parent hears their child cry out in another room. They stop what they're doing. They give up, go to, to be with. You get a call in the middle of the night from a close friend who says, I need you now. You give up, go to, be with. It's a movement that we have been both the giver of and the receiver of many times. Now, there's a deeper movement of love that fewer people have experienced, and that's to give up, go to, and sacrifice for. Give up, go to, sacrifice for. We usually think of that in a more of a, of a military scenario where a, a soldier leaves uh, the safety of cover to go out to, to his friend, and in the process of saving his friend, he sacrifices himself. Right? That's why Jesus would say, greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, because of this movement of love, you can actually measure how much you love someone. Uh, and it's three questions. How much are you willing to give up? How far are you willing to go? And what are you willing to do? Right? How much are you willing to give up? How far are you willing to go? And what are you willing to do? I remember reading a story years ago about a, a passenger on a train, and he was watching uh, two men who were traveling together, and all of a sudden, one of the men went into a seizure, like a grand mall seizure. And his friend uh, picked him up and uh, laid him down in the aisle and then cradled his head and uh, tried to calm him until the seizure had run its course, and then his friend had fallen asleep. And the passenger ended up asking the man, what, what, what's going on with your friend? Can you tell me the story? And this is what the man said. He said, the two of us served in the war together, and we were in one particular uh, battle, and I got shot in my legs, and I couldn't move. He came back for me. He put me on his shoulders and he carried me out of the jungle. About five years ago, I found out that he had this condition and I sold my house and I've uh, come to be with him whenever he needs me, right? What are you willing to give up? How far are you willing to go? What are you willing to do? 
When I say that the incarnation is the greatest act of love the world has ever known, what I mean is that no one has ever given up what Jesus was willing to give up. Philippians 2 said he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. There's no further distance to travel than from the throne room of heaven to the stable in Bethlehem. And there's no one who's done more than to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. Give up, go to, be with. That's what Jesus did to mediate. Now, the second question is, what did the mediation of Jesus do? Now, what it says is that there's this festal gathering to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. What's interesting is that all of a sudden, there's no mention of the danger of being close to God. There's no warning about staying away. In fact, God is right in the midst of this celebration. And people will seem like they're as close as they want to be to God, right? And what it says is that the righteous are made perfect. And the way that they're made perfect is through the mediation of Jesus. Remember, you know, when I used the illustration of the MRI, that if God is completely pure holiness, then for you to come into the presence of pure holiness with the impurities that you have in your soul, it would be absolutely catastrophic, which is what uh, the whole first part of the passage is. But what Jesus being our mediator, what he does is that he takes your impurities, my impurities and himself, then he goes into the holiness of God and he becomes the bloody mess, which is why it says the sprinkled blood of Jesus so that we can go, so that you can go right into the holy, into the goodness of God, right smack dab into his goodness, as close as you want to get. Because that's what you were created for. It's what you have longed for your whole life. It's what you hoped, that, that goodness is what you hoped marriage would do for you, or love, or children, or whatever. And all those things are good, but they're just a tiny taste of what you were created for. And what you were created for was the very goodness, the pure goodness of God. All right. So that's without Jesus. That's with Jesus. Now the question is, how do you get Jesus? How do you get Jesus? In Matthew chapter 1, it says that in verse 21, it says, uh, let's see. And she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Getting Jesus is not, uh, it's not complex, but it's hard. And sometimes that's tough. I think when something's hard, we expect it to be complicated, but it's pretty simple. Uh, If you have ever uh, had to apologize and ask forgiveness, there is probably nothing more simple than that and nothing harder than that. There are two things you have to do in order to get Jesus. One is you have to recognize why he came. That Jesus didn't come to be your role model. 
Jesus didn't come to be your example. What it says is that Jesus came to save people from their sins. The second thing you have to recognize is that you are that sinner, that for you to go into the presence of God without Jesus would be absolutely terrifying. You would not survive. But because of Jesus and him being the mediator of a new covenant, offering to take your impurities on himself to become the bloody mess for you, then you can run into the very arms of God. And that is the story of Christmas. Christmas is an invitation. You know, I, I talked about you know, Elizabeth Bennett finally understanding who it was that had saved her, what her family had been saved from. And when she did, then her heart was opened and she saw Mr. Darcy for the first time and fell deeply in love with him. Christmas is that invitation for you to recognize what you have been saved from, which is why I was looking forward to this particular message. Because all week, I have, every morning I've thought, I have been saved from, the, from God being terrifying, and f- instead I get to go to him every day and call him Father. And it's only because of Jesus. So Christmas is that invitation to be reminded of what you have been saved from and who it is that has saved you so that your heart can be opened and you can see Jesus and fall more deeply in love with him. But I want you to know, too, it's also another invitation. I know that Christmas can be a difficult time uh, for many of us who have lost people uh, this year. And what I want you to know is this, that you know, I, I said that the, the whole movement of give up, go to, be with is that movement of love. That if you have a good friend call you in the middle of the night and say, I need you now, then because you love them, you will give up, go to, be with. Jesus does that for you. So if this holiday season, you begin to feel really, really sad, then what I would do is call out to Jesus and say, I need you now. Because Jesus has already shown that he was willing to give up, go to, be with, and he will do that for you. So great is his love for you. So wonderful a savior is he. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, uh, thank you for uh, your love for us. Uh, that you have shown through your son, Jesus. I thank you that, uh, that you are uh, pure. And that without Jesus, I know uh, it would be absolutely terrifying to come into your presence. I am grateful for uh, this story uh, from the Old Testament because it can remind all of us what we have been saved from. But because of what Jesus has done for us, then we get to run into your arms, call you Father, and know what it's like to experience your goodness, uh, not just now, but one day forever. Thanks for Jesus, for him being such a wonderful Savior, Uh, and thanks for Christmas, the reminder of that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.